how can God be good and sovereign over all things and also allow intense personal suffering into people's lives? This is such an important question, really central to some of the things that we do at Desiring God, in fact. And it's a question that arrived in the inbox from a young man. Hello, Pastor John. My girlfriend is becoming a respiratory therapist. And since beginning her training, she has interacted with many patients who are brain dead or have no control over their bodies. And she has serious questions about where is God in all of this personal suffering? How can, if he is sovereign, be good by allowing certain people to suffer in this way? What purposes do they serve in this state? I've spoken to her about these things, trying to answer her questions, and I will continue to do so, for I only desire her to see the Lord's character in all of this. But I also wanted to ask you for guidance in answering these questions. What scripture should I walk her through? What's the best approach to answering her question? I have found it helpful to distinguish between what I call micro-reasons for why people suffer and macro-reasons for why they're suffering in the world. Because when it comes to micro-reasons, like why this particular suffering? Why on this particular person? Mm. Why at this particular time? Why this particular intensity? Why with these peculiar complications, Lord? Why in all these particular relationships? Why this particular duration? Etc. When, when we're talking about those micro reasons, we usually don't have answers. Mm. The Bible doesn't address the precise, particular situation of each person. And, and that's where a lot of people stop and they just say, oh, we don't know why. Suffering is a total mystery. Instead of saying, no, 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 no. keep reading your Bible. <laughs> when it comes to macro reasons, for why there is suffering in the world. The Bible is rich with helpfulness. It's explicitly intending to be helpful for us at the macro reasons. And I don't have time to go into them all here. If if people want to see what I mean and what they are, uh, go to Desiring God and just type in the search engine, Five Purposes for Suffering, and and you'll get a little short summary of what I mean by the macro reasons. So what I thought I would do here is just give one perspective that our friend and his girlfriend may not have thought about much that could perhaps be a fresh insight into dealing with either brain-dead people or or people who are, are totally unable to help themselves. We usually look for the purposes of suffering in the effect it has on the sufferer. So, for example, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about his thorn in the flesh that would leave me, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul concludes, well, okay, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so, so Paul, the sufferer, turns his pain into a Christ-exalting experience by showing Christ's all-sufficiency in his weakness. That's the, way we, that's the way I usually think about trying to come to terms with why I or somebody else might be suffering. But what we don't usually look for is God's purpose for our weaknesses in the lives of others. In other words, could our weaknesses be intended by God our suffering be intended by God 
to draw out of others something they wouldn't otherwise have experienced concerning Christ. Mm. And we don't often take into consideration that there's a whole spectrum of weaknesses ranging from minor personality annoyances, which might call for patience from a <laughs> husband or a wife or, or friends, all the way to being brain dead or being utterly dependent on the goodwill of others. Mm. So let's think about this for a moment. This was very, very helpful for me to do this. I saw things in pondering this question that I had never seen before. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, think of it. God, in his sovereignty, could cause idle saints to be industrious. He could cause faint-hearted saints to be lion-hearted. He could cause weak saints to be strong. But instead, he tells the leaders of the church that these people are an occasion for their patience, at least in the short run. And he doesn't act as if they're going away. <laughs> Some people are just going to be that. Their weaknesses draw out of others evidences of God's grace. Now, consider the fact that being utterly unable to feed oneself or care for oneself or even communicate is at the far end of the spectrum of disabilities that the church is called upon to serve. Many churches are awakening not only to the responsibility to serve those with disabilities, but the privilege of serving them. And, and the key text may be helpful with regard to those who are all the way at the end of the spectrum of disability, namely the, the brain dead. So I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 12, 21 following, which says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Mm. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, this is amazing when you think about it. Paul doesn't say that the weakness and the dishonorableness of these people is to teach them anything the way his own thorn in the flesh was meant to teach him something, keep him from being conceited. He says these weak, seemingly dishonorable people, whom the world would probably despise or just throw away, are here for you. They're here for you. You are strong. They are here for you to show honor to, for you to serve, for you to care for and show grace toward service that can never be paid back in this world. Their suffering is not about their sanctification. It's about your sanctification. Like Jesus said in Luke, Luke 14, 14, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. I mean, how little will you get paid 
by a brain-dead person. Nothing. Except you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, Luke 14, 14. And here's a remarkable thought about those who seem unable to make any contribution at all. I had never, never thought about this before. I offer it for your consideration. This is 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to this world standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, and then this phrase, even things that are not. What is that? Hmm. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Do you think, this is just, I'm offering this for you to seriously ponder, do you think even things that are not which God chose to shame the things that are, to, to make the strong realize they have a need. Do you think even things that are not, people so low, so despised, that they may as well not even be, might have a relevance to the brain dead? One last text about the, the weak for us to reflect on. Acts twenty thirty five. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. In other words, our work needs to supply what they can't supply. That's the point. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, the existence of the weak for whom we are to work in ways that they can't is described by Paul as an occasion for us to be more blessed because it's more blessed to give, to work for the weak than to merely work for ourselves. So God's ways are not our ways. He, he has purposes with our weaknesses, even those massive disabilities that leave us unable to do anything for ourselves. And this is not about sanctifying the helpless in this world. It's about sanctifying the strong. That's the whole point of those texts. Indeed, Paul goes so far as to say it's about their joy, not just their patience, because it is more blessed to give than to receive, even as we lay down our lives for the weakest of the weak. Mm. Some really profound connections here in these texts to feed our personal meditation and considerations of why weak and needy people are in our lives. That's very powerful, Pastor John. Thank you. Appreciate those texts. Thanks for the question. We appreciate those questions coming into us. And thanks for listening to the podcast over at our online home. You can explore about 1,200, now almost 1,300 past episodes. Uh, you can scan a list of our most popular ones, read full transcripts, even send us a question that you may have of your own. Go to desiringgod.org forward slash John. And while you're thinking of it, consider subscribing to the podcast as well. We tend to publish three times a week and you can follow us along as we, as we publish. Well, over a dozen emails have arrived in the inbox from listeners who want to better understand Jesus's parable in the first half of Luke 16. Does Jesus celebrate dishonesty? It's a real head scratcher of a text and I'll put it before Pastor John next time. I'm your host, Tony Ranke, and we'll see you next time on Wednesday. Exploring Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. We'll see you then.